0: It's time for episode 527 of the Clockwise Podcast from Relay FM. Recorded Wednesday, November 1st, 2023. Clockwise, four people, four tech topics, 30 minutes. Welcome back to Clockwise, the podcast where we remember, remember that it's the 1st of November? I think that's how it goes. Uh, I'm Dan Moore, and I'm joined across the internet by my good friend, my pal, my co-host, my dungeon buddy, because we play Dungeons & Dragons on the internet together. It's the one and only Micah Sargent. How are you doing today, Micah?
1: Hello, Dan Morin, Six Colors East Coast Bureau Chief. I am doing quite well today. Thank you very much. How about
0: you? I'm doing pretty well, uh, too. So uh, happy November, everybody. Uh, This is, of course, the show where we invite on two fantastic guests to discuss four topics to my left this week. We're returning for a second appearance. It's Deputy Editor at The Verge, Dan Siefert. Welcome back, Dan. Thank you for having me. And to my
1: left, senior developer advocate at GitHub and everyone's favorite culture commentator. It's Christina <laughs> Warren. Hi, Christina.
2: Hi. Happy to be here. Happy November, everyone.
0: All right. Let's kick off this first November show. Uh, in the wake of Apple's scary fast event this week, I wanna know, do you feel like Apple had now has like a Mac for every possible price and performance category? Are they filling in all the gaps in their lineup, or do you feel like there might still be something
3: missing? If so, what? Dan, let's start with you. No. I don't think they do. <laughs> uh, I, and I think that the, the gap is really at the very low end, which I don't know if Apple will ever fill that gap with a real, like what you would say, true budget laptop. Um, the MacBook Air goes down to 999 in Apple Store. You can get it for like 750 or so at other retailers. That's about as cheap as you can get a laptop, which is a really great value, not going to lie, but 750 or $800 for a lot of people doesn't quite scream budget. So I think that is the one area where Apple traditionally has been content to not serve and it's it everything else up the ladder is basically covered all the way to like seventy two hundred dollars for a sixteen inch M two Max Mac or M three Max, excuse me, mm-hmm. Maced out maxed out MacBook
1: Pro. Oh, <laughs> uh, you just made it hard on yourself there. I, yeah, so I'm I'm I agree with Dan. I think you know, I'm very conscious of. We have a a show uh, on Twitter that where people call in and they ask questions, and a lot of times we get folks asking for question or asking about what computer they should get, and you hear them kind of reveal without saying it directly that they are concerned about budget, and nine ninety nine to some people might seem like oh that's quite the deal, but I'm very aware of the fact that. Had I heard that price even just, you know, a few years ago, that that would still be something that was uh, that's like a multi-year saving kind of thing. And so given that, I think that, yeah, that is where Apple still doesn't have a, a Mac, but I don't think they're ever going to have a Mac. So is a gap a gap? if the company doesn't acknowledge that the gap is there, if a gap falls in the woods, <laughs> Whoa, and around to see it who I don't know. It, 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 Schrodinger's gap. Anyway, let's move along. Christina, what are your thoughts?
2: Yeah. I mean, I kind of feel similarly to both you and uh, Dan, number one. Um, I think that obviously the low end, that's a place where at least on laptops, Apple has never had a market, I think you could argue that the original market for the the Mac Mini was, at least especially in that era, sort of, you know, the, the low end, you know, it's like a $500 computer, bring your own stuff. Um, but it, now, you know, look, there's nothing that's going to take on a, a Chromebook, uh, but there's not even anything that'll take on, you know, a sub unless you're talking about uh, getting something, you know, on special, like, you know, a, a sub $1,000 laptop. But to your point, Micah, that's also not a market they really go after. I think this is the most cohesive laptop strategy that Apple has had in years. Uh, I'm not saying it's the best because you're still having eight gigabyte garbage, which I, I really I'm, I'm grossed out by the fact that a sixteen hundred dollar laptop comes with eight gigabytes of RAM. <laughs> Putting that aside, we do now actually have a very consistent and sensible Mac lineup compared to where things were before the, you know, um, scary fast event.
0: Yeah, I think, I mean, the low end, it's an interesting point. I mean, for sure, Apple has never played much in that sub thousand dollar category. Definitely not for laptops. I mean, obviously you can get a Mac mini a little bit cheaper than that, um, but it is certainly a harder sell. I think there's some interesting squishiness in that low end mid range area as well, just in terms of price points. Um, You know, I think they've done better by introducing this new 14 inch uh, MacBook Pro that uses the vanilla M3 processor. Uh, I think that potentially uh, bridges the gap a little bit that was sort of filled by that old weird 13-inch MacBook Pro that kept around forever. But it does have a lot of limitations to it. Um, I hear a lot from people who are like, I can only run one external monitor. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, I'm so angry. And I I just think that, you know, that's clearly a decision that Apple has made, but it seems like there is certainly a small vocal contingent that feels like that is something that should not be reserved for, like, the the higher-end chips that cost a lot more, and that there isn't really a great opportunity for finding something that's a little bit more powerful. Um, For example, there's no pro configuration of the iMac either, right? The iMac is just the M3, and you either get it or, you don't. So I think (laughs) there is potentially still some room in the middle ground there for something that takes more advantage of the pro and i've been interesting interested in the way that they also have rejiggered the the pro uh, in terms of the efficiency versus performance cores they're now split down the middle it used to be more performance cores, i think more efficiency cores. i can't remember which way it goes anyways it's now evenly matched so they've changed it a little bit from the previous one i think they're sort of trying to figure out where that middle ground is because like it's easy to stake out the high-end, and they've done that a ton with high-end MacBook Pros, Mac Studio, Mac Pro, right? Uh, even the Mac Mini can be configured with a, like an M2 Pro uh, right now. Uh, it's a little tougher to sort of figure out where that middle ground is, and I think a lot of people are like, I want the basic, but I want something a little bit more. So I'll be interested to see how that continues to evolve, especially as we go through the rest of the Mac lineup with the new M3 chips. But thank you all for your thoughts on that. Let's go to our second topic, which comes from Dan.
3: Uh, So staying on the topic of Macs, one of the things that a lot of people were hoping for this week was to have accessories like the Magic Keyboard, Magic Trackpad, and Magic Mouse updated to support USB-C, since it seems like that is where Apple is going across its lineup, but Apple didn't do it, so they all still use Lightning. So my question to the panel here is, what do you think is going to be the last Lightning product in your life, or have you already jettisoned Lightning from your life as (laughs) of, like, September?
1: I have not. Um, so I think realistically, the last uh, lightning device in my life are going to be my Mac peripherals, uh, just because I don't see a reason to upgrade those. One that's going to be sort of a, a regular issue for me that's going to stick around for a while is the my AirPod's Pro uh, second generation because I did not get the USB-C uh, version of that case. And I <laughs> still regularly go to plug it in with USB-C and realize, oh, right, that doesn't work there. So yeah, I think that's the the one that I'll, I'll, I'll truly choose because it's the most inconvenient one. And I don't see any need to upgrade that uh, anytime soon. Christina, what about you?
2: Like you, Micah, I think it's probably going to be my Mac accessories because unless, you know, they do come out with a mythical 32-inch iMac or something, I don't see myself like purposely buying like new Mac accessories. Like I don't see myself getting like another Magic Keyboard or a Magic Trackpad just for USB-C because who cares? But for me, I think the ones that will probably stick around the longest are my AirPods Macs, which I have mixed feelings about anyway. Uh, but they're you know five hundred fifty dollars headphones. Rumor is at the end of next year we might get a pair that has USB C. I'll be tempted to upgrade them, but I also kind of hate them. Like I I like them <laughs> because of the auto pairing and how easy that is. But for the price and for the performance, like the Sony's are a much are objectively much better headphones. So I I'm not sure if I'll actually upgrade them or not. So uh, I, probably my AirPods Max, but I could also conceivably still have for many years to come the, you know, magic keyboard and magic trackpad that will, you know, continue to work for however long I have external needs in that way.
0: Yeah, I guess it's gonna be the keyboard and trackpad for me. I was really hoping this week that I would get a chance to replace those mainly because I, my magic keyboard's a little chewed up. Um, I had like a keyboard tray and it like just chewed up the top of the aluminum because it was set too high for a while and I just find that annoying. I want to replace it. And I think there's a possibility for not just the replacement with the USB-C, but I was really hoping they'd improve some aspects of it. Bluetooth on the keyboard has been kind of wonky for me. I keep it plugged in all the time to my Mac Mini, which I don't love. And I also had hoped they would bring back the inverted T arrow key layout and maybe... Um, you know, make some other changes there as well. I also don't have a keyboard with Touch ID, which would be a nice thing to have. So all those yeah. things were like I was ready to go. I got, like, I had like the money set aside and everything, and then I <laughs> didn't do anything. Um, like Christina, I upgraded my. Uh, I had a first gen pair of AirPods Pro, and I even though they worked very well, uh, I uh, when there was a sale on the second generation, the new USB C ones, I bought those. Um, and was able to pass the older ones down to my wife. So I think it's mainly just the peripherals at this point. I do have a first gen pencil lying around, but I don't use it actively. Um, and then my wife has a older iPad and an older phone. So those will probably be the last things to really go. But like for me in my personal life, it's probably just going to be these peripherals. And, you know, I'm bummed about that. It doesn't make a huge difference in my life, but it's it, it just I fit in those nice, neat little boxes. I like the idea of only having one cable that to, to worry about ever. So I guess I'm a nerd. <laughs>
3: Yeah, I guess for me, uh, I'm the same as uh, most of y'all. It is probably going to be the peripherals. I use a magic trackpad. I don't use a magic keyboard because I'm a keyboard snob. Mm -hmm. Um, But I use a magic trackpad every single day. And I would say at my desk, like having lightning to charge at is not as annoying as it is when I'm on the road. And since I don't take the magic trackpad on the road, it's not Like, it's not like, oh, I have to pack another cable with me. I would have loved a new trackpad uh, because the one I have, actually, the battery's not lasting as long. And uh, because, like I said, I don't use Apple's keyboard, I also don't have Touch ID. I would Mm -hmm. love Touch ID in a Magic trackpad. Mm -hmm. And, you know, maybe I was wish casting a little bit there. Um, Would have been great to see that uh christina you funny you mentioned the airpods max i also have the airpods max and have very similar complaints and i do not think i will be upgrading mine because uh i just bought a pair of bows like this week yeah. so <laughs> uh, um i i've kind of like the the airpods max sit on my desk as like desk headphones and i've got a little charging dock for them so i don't ever have to interact with the lightning cable um <laughs> But yeah, those are those are a tough one because they are so expensive and like realistically shouldn't be upgrading headphones at that price all that often. No. Yeah, that's like a once a decade purchase. But yeah, that's that's where I'm at. It's it's going to be this magic trackpad forever.
0: All right. That's two topics down. Two topics left to go, which of course means it's halftime here at Clockwise. And this week's episode is brought to you by Traceroute. AI continues to be integrated into so many facets of our lives. we got chatbots, smart home systems, autonomous vehicles, and more. So it's not surprising that so many people are now wondering, is AI our friend or our worst enemy? I say, why not both? And that's the focus of the two-part season opener of the award-winning Traceroute podcast. Don't miss out on this and other ways we can peel back the layers of the stack and reveal the humanity in the hardware that shapes our digital world. Start listening this week. In every episode of Traceroute, a team of technologists seems, seeks to untangle the complex question of who shapes the internet. Seasons one and two gives a crucial understanding of the inner workings of technology while revealing the human element behind tech. And season three tackles not just AI questions, but also looks for answers to how can we use technology to preserve the earth? Who influences the technology that gets made? And what happened to the flying cars that we were promised? <laughs> Which I definitely need an, episode. I need an answer to that question immediately. Uh, I listened to some episodes from season two that were really interesting. And they talked about sort of hardware infrastructure and things that like you could... Uh, basically make your your infrastructure more robust. How do you deal with stuff when like the infrastructure itself goes down? They talked about like cell phone towers you can install on your roof to like clocks that are built to last 10,000 years and like this sort of idea of how you have technology that persists when humans can no longer really reliably maintain it, if nothing else. Uh, so I'm interested to see what they're talking about in AI. And if you're somebody who is interested about that influence between human humanity and technology and how that plays out, this might be a great podcast for you. So listen and follow the new season of Traceroute starting November 2nd on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Check out Traceroute now. That's T-R-A-C-E-R-O-U-T-E, or click the link in the show notes. Our thanks to Traceroute for their support of this show and all of Relay FM. All right. Halftime is over. Micah, back to you.
1: Yeah. My question for you, did you ever own a Touch Bar Mac? Uh, rest in peace. And if you did, did you use the Touch Bar? Tell us about your experience with it. Christina, we'll start with you.
2: Yeah, I did have a Touch Bar Mac Uh part of the, you know, terrible butterfly keyboard series of of computers. Um, And I used one from 2017 until 2021. Um, No, I really didn't use the Touch Bar. I used Touch ID and I used it primarily to raise the brightness and to raise the volume on my laptop. And that was about it. Dan Seifert's colleague, Alex Kranz, wrote a really nice thing for The Verge, Basically lamenting its lost potential, and I went back and read my original view of the laptop from 2016, and it I, at the time I, I called it a gimmick that wasn't worth the price yet. I stand by that. Uh, there was a lot of potential, I think, for the Touch Bar. Never really worked out unless you're talking about some configurations that you could do with better Touch Tool, which you could also do with any other key on your you know, keyboard. So (laughs) I did have a touch bar Mac. Um, I think that it was replaced four times because of the keyboard, but, uh, I primarily just used it, you know, to increase the brightness or the volume. And I did like the touch ID aspect. I'm glad we got that with it, but the rest of it, meh, no.
0: Yeah. I never had a touch bar Mac. I've always been a Mac MacBook air person Uh, And so the MacBook Pro was always just a little bit more than I needed or wanted. The Touch Bar, like from the beginning, I do feel like I kind of agree, it seemed like a gimmick, didn't really seem like there was something um, compelling about it, but like it looked cool. Like that was always the thing that had going for it is like it seemed really cool. And the idea of like changing something up uh, that was so fundamental to like how we use computers for so long was an exciting idea. But I think a big part of it was that Apple never followed through on it. They never really improved it. They never really cared about people seeming to like you know, customize it uh, or find other ways to use it. There were some third-party apps out there, but I don't think it ever really caught on. And I mean, the fact that it never made it into any other devices that Apple made was kind of the writing on the wall for it. So it feels like something that they were never super committed to. Um, and so I never really got my hopes up about it, I guess. Uh, I And I, I fundamentally l- missed the tactile nature of function keys like I, that for me is one of the big things um, that I feel strongly about is as somebody who's a touch typist I often you know I'm hitting keys without having to uh, to look at them and on the touch bar that always seemed like it was kind of a problem um, stuff wasn't quite as easy to use as uh, you know physical keys in many cases so I'm not terribly sad to see the the back end of it I know it had its fans but for me it was just is never something that really caught on Dan what about you
3: Yeah, I never personally owned one. I used a few over the years for review purposes and testing and things like that, but I had owned a... 2015 15-inch MacBook Pro that actually carried me through most of the butterfly era. Mm. Uh, Mm. And I had a slight detour into a Surface laptop for a while until (sighs) uh, the M chips came out, and then I jumped on one of those. Um, So I never really spent more than a week or two with the touch bar. And it it never really caught on for me either. Uh, As same as you, Dan, the tactile nature was lacking there. What I do feel bummed about, um, and I think, Dan, you kind of alluded to this, is that Apple never really put its heart into making it great. Um, But it was kind of like, here's what a touch interface on a Mac could do. And if they had leaned more into it and actually put effort into it, we maybe would be closer to a world where we have like an actual touchscreen Mac Mm -hmm. laptop, uh, which would be very cool and very interesting to me. Um, But sadly, Apple's gone the other direction. So uh, I don't think that's happening anytime soon.
1: So I I did own a Touch Bar Mac, and I was very excited about it in the beginning and thought, oh, this is such a cool idea. And to look at the history of Apple, they put touch on a phone and developers really ran with it and made these great apps and experiences. And I wonder if part of that was something that that was expected here, that we would have seen more third parties uh, take advantage of what was there. You got some switching of the touch bar in certain apps, but it wasn't always the case. And yeah, I did end up like Christina just using that row as if it were just the function keys that are built into, uh, all the Mac keyboards. I did the better touch tool stuff for a while, but every once in a while, something would go wrong there and then I have to reset it. So it wasn't worth doing. And it just, yeah, it didn't live up to what I was expecting of it. Um, you know, you can't knock the uh, accessibility aspect of it. I know that there were a lot of folks who liked having something on their keyboard that gave them uh, a quick way to access controls that otherwise would have taken a lot of mouse movement to get to. And so that's something that was, you know, worth understanding. But yeah, for those of us who are touch typists, um, having to look down at the the keyboard whenever that's something we don't normally do... Uh, did not lead to a very good experience overall. Cool idea, but ultimately I am not surprised to hear that it wasn't something that any of us used with any real um, regularity. Uh, Thank you all for your answers on that. Let us go to our next topic, which comes from Christina.
2: All right. So this this came out this morning and this is juicy. So as part of a wrongful termination lawsuit, an ex-HBO staffer says that their boss, uh, HBO head Casey Bloys, made them make burner accounts to troll critics on Twitter. (laughs) Uh, They also made uh, uh, like left anonymous comments on Deadline, which is wow, that's a move. Um, So my question for for all of you is, have you ever or do you have any burner accounts? (laughs)
0: I'm consulting with my attorneys (laughs) to discuss whether or not. Um, Yeah, I'm sure I've made some. Uh, uh, To be fair, not as much for things like social media. Not as much. Not as much. Not as much. (laughs) I mean, come on. Burner accounts they are cheap, right? They're great. (laughs) Yeah, free. Um, I think there are cases where I've certainly created accounts that I don't want You know, didn't want to have associated with like my personal data if for no other reason than I didn't want like marketing spam or whatever, right? Mm -hmm. Like, so you just have like an email account or something that you use as a burner and you put it in stuff where it's like, I don't think I'm ever going to use this service again, but I'm going to sign up for it because I want to know. Especially all of us as people who write about and talk about technology, we try out a lot of stuff. And boy, after all these years, it really screws with all your. (laughs) your ad (laughs) survey and stuff if you've linked it all to one account. I made the mistake of when I was a freelancer back in my mid-20s. I went to... The first time I went to CES, I gave them my email... (laughs) for oh, my wow. personal account. I'm still you digging out for that paying, you know. almost 20 years later. Um, so yeah, uh, the, there is certainly an argument for using the burn accounts. I've also had them on social networking too sometimes because like sometimes, again, you want to avoid the algorithm. you just like, I want to browse this or I want to look for stuff and I don't want all of this like conflated into my own personal stuff, because I don't want these ads served to me all the time or whatever. You're doing research on a particular topic and you don't need it associated with uh, the rest of your account. So yeah, I've used a few, but I don't use any really regularly. Um, I think I've just, you know, tended to draw back and a lot of other services have provided uh, ways to do that without using burner accounts, like Apple's uh, hide my email feature and stuff like that. So it's a lot easier to sign up for accounts and not have it all linked together. Dan, what about you?
3: What is what is hide my email if not an automated burner Indeed. Account system? Um, <laughs> I have used that a few times. I'm similar to you, Dan. I have never really posted on social media as a burner account. I've done some really dumb posting under my no. name. Uh, you know, as we all grow and mature, it's and not learn. your own account. The um,
0: most burner of burner accounts. <laughs> Just walk away. Burn it all
3: down. <laughs> exactly, but I have created like throwaway burner accounts to largely to like if I need to sign up for a support forum or something like that, where I just need to get the information, but it won't give me access to it unless I create an account. And like, I don't want this account to spam me forever. Um, so I've created some throwaways for that. Uh, but otherwise, uh, It seems like a lot of work to create and maintain a burner social presence. And I feel like uh, it also just opens the door for some really uh, Mm -hmm. bad faux pas if you are not paying exact attention to which account you are posting Mm -hmm. from. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So that's kind of my mature advice to everyone out there who might be considering using a burner account to troll people. I do have a quote unquote alt
1: and that I don't consider a burner because it's just a different place to go versus a burner, which I've not done really social media wise, but I do use Fastmail and I do use 1Password. And so pretty much every new account I've signed up for since the introduction of that uh, integration it is tied to a quote unquote burner account because it generates a new email every time that is then forwarded to my email. So no new mail accounts I've created in, you know, probably a year or so have the same email address uh, because of that integration. So it's really kind of like I've got burners across the board. But yeah, I've never done the like, Create an account so that I can complain about some previous employer or <laughs> about uh, an airline because I think I would do that from my main account, right? Uh, <laughs> I don't, I don't quite have, you know, who I am status, but I have a few followers, so maybe that could make a difference. Christina, I can't wait to hear your stories.
2: <laughs> Thank you. Okay, so I have had all three, um, unsurprisingly, in in my life. Mostly, my burner accounts, I would say, are probably similar to most of yours. You know, it's one of those things where I don't want it tied to my personal information for whatever reason. Usually, not because I'm embarrassed to put it under my real name, but because like I don't want the spam, I don't want the CES stuff, uh, or, or I don't want to be reminded, you know, of what it is. You know, it's it's a one off thing. That said, I'm going to be honest. I definitely have created like alt accounts for some social networks, Uh, Reddit being a primary one. The good news there is I don't remember the password. And Reddit (laughs) is one of those things where if you don't remember that, and if you didn't set up an email, then you're SOL. So uh, I can't be haunted by that. I rarely have done it on Twitter. When I've created alt accounts, it's usually been a meme based thing. And if my identity was tied to it, like, who cares that in 2012, I created a John McAfee parody account, like, not a big deal. Uh, And that was a real thing that I did. But uh, I, I, for the same reasons that you were mentioning, um, uh, Dan and, and Micah, like, I... My fear with it's not that I have any sort of moral qualms against having alt accounts and even like alt accounts that might, you know, like yell at at people and, and express opinions that I'm afraid to express under my real name. And when you consider what I will express under my real name, <laughs> think about me unhinged. And that's wow. Uh, but here's the thing. It's nothing about that. Like, as I'm not I'm not morally above it. I'm just afraid that I would be an idiot and accidentally post on the wrong account and get completely called out. And. I know that that would happen because I've, you know, like all of us on on this podcast, we've had to like manage multiple social accounts and we all know what it's like to post under the wrong one. And I have seen too many, you know, like OPSEC fails and people reveal themselves to feel comfortable truly doing that. I think the only way I could do it, to be honest, would be if I had like a completely separate phone but uh and it would need to be like a different color like different you know like <laughs> night mode on like it would have to have a whole other thing so i would know okay this is the one where you can be trollish and 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 yell at your your television critics um but yeah uh i i, I have had all three of them i don't actively deal with a, a lot of the the alts in this uh in this instance like 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 this story just because i'm afraid of of getting found out
0: well that is Four topics now. We have just have time for a bonus topic. Before we get there, I want to mention, of course, if you feel like you want to support the show, you can do so by go pick up a clockwise shirt. You can go to clockwise.social slash shirt to find our excellent shirt over at the Cotton Bureau. It comes in many colors, many sizes completely coincidentally, I'm wearing my green clockwise shirt today. Uh, I went to get my COVID and flu shots and the guy asked me if I was a Celtics fan. <laughs> so really <laughs> nailing it is what I'm saying. But hey, it's still a great <laughs> shirt. Uh, pick one up clockwise.social slash shirt and we appreciate it. And now for the bonus topic, important, important matters we discuss here. Do you have any leftover Halloween candy? And if so, how long do you think it will last? Be honest. Dan, we'll start with you.
3: Oh, my God. We have so much Halloween candy left over because I uh, vastly overestimated the number of kids that would come to the door this year. I bought full-size bars and I have literally like two dozen full-size bars left. And then I bought a backup of the fun-size stuff. That was not handed out at all. So that's a full <laughs> bag of fun size stuff. So it's going to last a while. I think we're still going to be giving it out. We'll just drop some off at uh, the offices and send we'll some all to be school over shortly. and all that kind of <laughs> stuff. Yeah. Uh, and my wife, uh, has a big told you so on her face <laughs> all week long. Sadly, no
1: one trick-or-treats uh, here. I'm also not someone who really eats candy, so it would just be my, my partner doing that. And um, I don't think it, it, you know, it doesn't stay in the house long enough for it to to gather. So there's no leftovers here uh, because there kind of weren't any in the, in the first place. Uh, Christina, what about you?
2: Yes and no. So I did buy Halloween candy, but that was for me to eat. So I do have, I think, like half a bag of, of mini uh, Reese's left and i'm leaving for the airport um in like 3 hours they will probably not be gone by then but they will definitely be gone by the time i'm back because my husband will find them and eat them so i i I bought candy just for me Uh, i wish i'd gone the full bars route i mean everybody go to dan's house for halloween because Mm -hmm. that's Mm -hmm. awesome like hardcore yes but uh like that's that's genuinely like that those are the best houses uh but uh yeah the the little that i do have left will be gone in days i'm guessing but i won't be here unfortunately
0: Yeah, we bought a bag of the fun size stuff from Costco, and I think we went through about half of it, maybe. This is the problem with working from home is uh, we have a limited number of places to get rid of this candy, so hopefully my (laughs) wife will take some to her office, because otherwise it's going into my mouth. Uh, (laughs) Hey, if you'd like to get ad-free episodes with an extra overtime topic every week, you can become a member of Clockwise. Just go to relay.fm slash Clockwise and sign up for just $5 per month or $50 a year, and you'll help support the show. In this week's Overtime topic, we discuss our video calling setups. And that brings us to the end of this week's episode. All that remains is to thank our fantastic guest, Dan Sieverts. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you. And Christina Warren, thank you so much for joining us.
2: So happy to be back. Thanks, guys.
0: And Michael will be back next week for a second November show, but not on November 2nd. Until then, we remind everybody listening out there, watch what you say. And keep watching the clock. Bye, everybody.